Welcome to Park Church. We're glad that you were here this morning. My name is Matt. I am a pastor here on staff, and it really is my privilege to be able to be up here and to speak with you um, this morning. Wow, there is a car parked in that parking lot right now, where if I stand here, it is blinding. Um, So welcome. We're glad that you're here. Uh, In the winter, you remember the winter, right? Cold time of year, dark, whatnot. Um, In the winter, we did a series of messages, and it was called Love Where You Live. If you were here through that winter, you remember it. It was an eight or nine week series, kind of a big series. Um, If you're new, if you've never been here before, you might have seen it before on, you know, a bumper sticker or on a card magnet or on a water bottle or a coffee mug or a travel mug or a t-shirt or on the wall out there. It's kind of hard to miss, right? Um, Love where you live, it's not an advertising slogan. It is our way of saying um, that's our calling as a church and as individuals. It's to love where we live. Um, To love where we live modeled after Jesus, to love the people we live with, the people um, who we do life with, who we see every day, who we spend our time with, who we work with, who we're at the park with, whatever it is, um, we are called to love where we live. And the idea was when we are able to love where we live in the way that Jesus loved, what will happen is Jesus will draw people to himself through us. And that was really the whole idea of that series. Um, Because that's what we're called to do. We're called to draw other people in this county, in this place, um, to come to know and to follow Jesus too. In the middle of that series, I think it was week three or week four, there was one particular message. And you might remember this. It was about the stories that we tell about people before we even get to know them, really. And the idea with that series, or with that one sermon, with that message was that a lot of times, before we even meet someone, or as we're first getting to know them, right, we, we have a tendency to write a story in our head about what their life is about. Like, we could see them across the room and just look at the way they're dressed, look at the way they do their hair, and we make up a whole story about who that person is, right? Or we see someone at a restaurant, and they kind of give us a dirty look, and then in our head, we are just, we are good at fabricating an entire story of who this person is, right? And like, it's quite judgmental, and it's not even judgmental, it's pre-judgmental, which is what the word prejudiced means. That's what it is. And the thing is, we are quite good at this. We are good at telling stories about people before we even know them, right? We can write an entire narrative in our heads about someone just from a rumor we heard, or about what their um, social media profile projects of themselves. And we can have someone figured out just because someone else we know told us two or three details about that person, right? And the problem is, when we do that, not only are we being prejudiced, which is bad, by the way, um, but when we do that, we ruin the chance to form the kind of relationship with that person that we're meant to have, because we are meant to be in good, life-giving relationships with people. And when we write a story about someone and then treat them based on that story, before we even get to know them, we just write them off, right? Or um, we kind of create this mountain between us that needs to be, cr- right? And it's just not good, right? And that's not, that's not what we're called to. We're called to something else. And so that message what the main point was, was we have to learn to put aside those stories and instead learn to see people based on the story that God has written in their life, that God is writing. And the only way you could do that is by actually engaging with them, is actually getting to know them, to learn their story. That's what that one message was about, February, March, something like that. This series that we're currently in right now, it's called It's Personal. It's basically a five-week, a five-part extrapolation of that one um, sermon. 
It's basically five weeks that kind of goes through um, what that can look like in real life and what that could be like for this situation and how to get really practical with it. That's sort of what this series is all about. The idea behind it is uh, for a lot of our lives, for a lot of our relationships, we never quite get below the shallow, right? Everything's kind of surface level. We never quite get below the shallow. We never quite get personal with people. And when you take that chance, you take that risk to get personal with people, that's where real relationship happens. That's where real connection happens. And for our purposes, that's where real life change happens, right? Last week, we talked a lot about this in the context of teachers. And not just like park kids Sunday morning teachers, but public school teachers and private school teachers, wherever you teach. Um, If you can connect with a kid's heart, you're going to be able to teach them. If you could reach them, you can teach them. That's what I always said. Is that a phrase? Is that a thing? All right, I'm going to trademark that. If you could reach them, you could teach them, right? And that's the idea about it. If you could reach their hearts, you could, you could teach them what they need to be taught. Or the way we talked about it last week, you can lead them to where you want them to be led, to, be, to where you know they need to be led. And for our purposes uh, at Park Church here, the life change we're talking about, the leading people we're talking about, is leading them towards Jesus, right? Is inviting them to that life change that happens when you get drawn closer to Jesus. That's what we're talking about in this series. Um, And that's true whether we're talking about the way we teach our kids on Sundays or the way that you high school leaders and middle school leaders um, reach those kids on Wednesdays and Thursday nights or our community group leaders who do that on Wednesday nights or Tuesday afternoons in your living room or through the way that each and every one of us are called to do that with our neighbors and with our coworkers and with the mom who we know from pickup and the dad who's the coach of the baseball team, right? That's what we're all called to. Um, This is a series about equipping us to do that better, Um, whether it's teaching our kids, teaching our youth, or leading people to follow Jesus. Last week we talked about, um, we kind of answered the question, how important it is to know the answer to, do you know my name? Right? If you use someone's name, if you remember it, if you know it, what you communicate to them is that you're worth knowing. You're worth remembering. That's part of the reason why we have name tags, right? My name does not have three T's, but the person who wrote this <laughs> just was having fun. So, um, This week, we're going to answer a different question that's important to know about the people who you're called to engage with. And that question is, do you know what matters to me? Do you know what matters to me? And the main point is that when you can get to know what matters to someone, you will communicate to them that they matter. When you get to know what what someone cares about, what they're interested in, what kind of makes them tick, what matters to them, you will communicate to them that they're worth knowing, that that they matter. That's kind of what we're called to. Conversely, when you kind of disparage what matters to someone, when you poo-poo what matters to someone. Is that a phrase we could use? I think it is, right? Yeah. Um, When you disparage what matters to someone, what you say to them is you don't actually matter, right? And I know I have kind of a strong personality. I can kind of like be a little closed-minded in some ways. I know I can do this with people. I really can. Um, One of the places I do this most readily and most obviously is with my own children right? I'm sure if you have kids, this phrase has come out of your mouth. You don't have to be so upset. It doesn't really matter, right? Or why are you so worked up? 
it doesn't actually matter that much. Or you should stop crying now because what you're crying about doesn't actually matter. Right? You ever said that? I said, I said it yesterday actually in the pool, right? Um, we do that all the time. We have three boys and um, our, our older two are, are 10 and almost seven. And they're at an age where they can compete with one another. And they compete with one another in everything. Um, yesterday, it took place in the pool. We have a little basketball hoop in the pool thing, and we were playing pool basketball, and it, it took place there in the pool. Um, our younger one, he, he's almost seven now, he like thinks he can play, but he's at that age where you have to like let him score, right? Like you have to let him kind of like make the basket. You have to let him get real close to get, get it in. Our older one, he's 10, he wants none of that, right? He's old enough to compete. He's kind of competitive. He doesn't want to get beat by his little brother. So yesterday in the pool, of course, I was like, Eli, you could score. Like, and so he goes up to score. I kind of moved Zeke, our older kid, out of the way so that he, Eli could score. And Zeke, got, he just got really mad. He got really frustrated. And I was like, Zeke, let your brother score. It doesn't matter. But the thing is, to Zeke, it does matter. Not only because Zeke is competitive, and not only because Zeke doesn't want to get beat by your little brother. No one does, right? Um, but he's also a rule follower, and I was violating the rules of the game. And in his world, that is an ethical no. It does matter. He is big on fair versus unfair. It was unfair that Zeke didn't have the opportunity to defend. And in Zeke's mind, fairness is something that matters. When I tell him, let your brother score, it doesn't matter. What I'm telling him is what you care about, what you value actually doesn't matter. And so what I'm saying is you, Zeke, don't matter. I, personally, need a wife who can point me back towards, Matt, I know it doesn't matter to you, but it does matter to him. You have to handle that situation differently. And that's the kind of thing that she does for me routinely. And my wife is very gifted at getting quickly to the heart of what matters with our kids. That's something, that's something that I need, right? That's something that we need. Um, getting to the heart of what matters quickly, uh, this is something that Jesus was a master at. Jesus had this tendency just to get to it with people. There's not a lot of words wasted in the New Testament, in the Gospels, of Jesus talking about hairstyles or how he likes the way, you know, that robe makes you look. That's, that's not something Jesus spent a lot of time at. He had a tendency to get to it with people and get to it um, really, really pretty quickly. Um, Last week, we talked about a story where he does this, and it was, the, it, was, it was the story of a man named Zacchaeus. And if you remember the story, it's going to pop up through the rest of this series here and there. Um, this is a story where Jesus is going from somewhere to Jerusalem, and he's going through a town called Jericho. Uh, Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector in that town of Jericho, and he was very rich. Now, I, I said all this last week, but tax collectors were uh, people who basically turned their backs on their own people. They were traitors in order to work for the big bad Roman Empire and extract exorbitant taxes from their own people. Like they broke the backs of their own people in order to make the Roman Empire happy. And then they skimmed a bunch off the top for themselves. And so they were rich and wealthy at the expense of their own people. So they had the nicest houses, they had the nicest stuff, they had the most money, and they were absolutely hated by their own people. Even their family wouldn't want to spend time with them. They were absolutely hated. And this is sort of the situation that Zacchaeus was in. Um, he wants to see Jesus, though, for some reason. There's a huge crowd. He can't see Jesus, so he climbs a, a, a tree to see Jesus. In this huge crowd that's surrounding him, that's all taller than he is, um, 
all of them, every one of them, have, have decided about Zacchaeus. They have made up the story about Zacchaeus already, right? He's, he's a traitor. He's a money-hungry weasel. He's a bad guy. He's evil. He's selfish. All he cares about is himself. All he cares about is money. All that matters to him is money. That's the story that every single person in that crowd had made up already about Zacchaeus. Uh, if you were to ask this question to Zacchaeus, everyone would give the answer, money. That's all that matters. But the thing is, what we learn is that that's actually not right. And we come to see that not only from um, the dialogue that Jesus and him have later in the story, but we also come to see that in a special contrast, in contrast to the story that comes before it. Um, the Zacchaeus story is in Luke 19. In Luke 18, there's another story of a rich man who comes to Jesus. And the way that these gospel writers wrote their gospels were to kind of put these stories together so that you could see the contrast, so that you could see what's happening, so that they were kind of story arcs and narratives and each story colored the others. And this was certainly what Luke was doing when he was arranging this. There's another story of a rich man. He comes to Jesus. Um, and you might know this story too. <clears throat> He comes to Jesus, he's described as a ruler, which means he's in charge of a bunch of things, he's very rich, and he asks Jesus, he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What do I have to do to get life-giving life? The kind of life that only God, live, um, God can give, the life that lasts forever, that life is of a different quality now. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And right off the bat, you could hear the word inherit is a inherently financial term, right? You inherit wealth, you inherit property, you inherit, right? Um, so that's kind of where his head is at. Jesus looks at this guy and he responds to him and says, like, you know the deal. Follow the commandments. Don't, don't steal, don't, don't kill, don't lie, don't commit adultery, all that. The ruler's like, yeah, 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 I got all that. What else do I have to do? Jesus looks at him. He kind of like um, surveys the scene. He looks at him. And he says to him, I'm going to get to the heart of what really matters for you. I'm going to get behind what you're saying. I'm going to get to what really matters for you. He doesn't ask directly, but he asks it with his next um, sentence. He says to him, when Jesus heard this, he said, there's still one thing that you're lacking. There's one thing that you're lacking. Sell all that you have. Distribute the money to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. This is Jesus' way of saying, let's see what you really care about. Do you care about following me? Do you care about life? Do you care about religious things and God and commandments and all that? Or do you care about something else? Let's see. But when he heard this, he became sad, for he was very rich. We find out all that this man cared about. He came talking about life, talking about commandments, talking about how good he is. All he actually cared about was money. And the Gospel of Mark also has this story. It kind of tells it a little more personally. Um, Mark says Jesus, at this point, looking at him, loved him. Jesus looked at him, and he saw what was in his heart, right? What was on the outside was, I care about God, I care about commandments, being the right person, doing the right things. But inside, it's just money. Jesus could see inside of his heart, and he loved him anyway. And 
that's not really a point of this message, but isn't that good news that Jesus can look inside of our hearts and know the darkness, know the wrong things, know the bad stuff going on inside of us, and he loves us anyway? Jesus loves us, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, sell what you have, give it to the poor, treasure in heaven, then come follow me. And then when he heard this, Mark gives a little more details, he was shocked and he went away grieving. He went away. He left Jesus. He went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Grief is something that you experience when you have lost something that means very much to you, right? Um, what this man has lost is life. But the only reason he lost life is because he was unwilling to give up his possessions. That's how much his stuff, his wealth mattered to him. That he went away grieving because of it. That's, that's what truly mattered to this man. Now, it doesn't take place in, in this account or Luke's account or any account. And maybe it wouldn't have happened like this, but I kind of wish it did. It doesn't sound like the rich man um, gave Jesus opportunity, but I would have loved it. I would have loved it if Jesus would have like called him over and been like, hey man, let's go out for coffee. That's what we do these days, right? Let's go out for coffee. Let's talk. Can you, can you tell me about these possessions? Tell me about this stuff that you love so much, right? Tell me, tell me what... What matters about it? Why does it matter so much to you, right? Because on one hand, I'm giving you life, eternal life, life-giving life that you've always been wanting and looking for and searching for, whether you know or not, that's what you're looking for. On the other hand, you got your stuff. Why does this stuff matter to you? And stuff back then wasn't great, right? Our stuff is great, <laughs> right? I have a phone in my pocket, it's right there actually, that can do anything for me, right? And my TV, I can watch anything in the world and I have a car that has air-conditioned seats, right? And I have a big house, and like, our stuff is awesome. Their stuff in those days was lame, right? It was like it was clay pots, and it was an ox, and it was a field, and like, it was a thatched hut, right? Like, we're not talking about awesome stuff here, right? You're telling me you're trading in life, life-giving life, for a bunch of stuff. Can you tell me why that matters so much? We don't get a chance to see Jesus actually do that, but um, I wish... I wish, that, I wish that we would have. I really wish that we would have. Because um, for here in this story, when you find out what actually matters to someone, when you get to the heart of what matters, that's where life change can actually happen. Right? That's where it actually happens. Because Jesus got to the heart of it with him. And the life change that Jesus was hoping for, that we all hope for, it didn't happen for this man. He walked away. Right? And so when Luke writes the Zacchaeus story, we are all expecting the same exact thing rich man comes to Jesus, is going to walk away because he doesn't care, right, about following Jesus. He just wants his money. And we, and we see something very different. We see Jesus um, look at Zacchaeus up in the tree and say to him, Zacchaeus, call him by name, right? Come down from here. Uh, I need to eat at your house today. And for Zacchaeus, this was something that absolutely transformed his life. But all who saw it did not feel that way. All who saw it began to grumble and said, he, Jesus, has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. And that was the worst thing to be at that time. Everyone's grumbling that Jesus went to eat with Zacchaeus, this money-hungry weasel traitor. The interesting thing here is that Zacchaeus doesn't give us the response that the rich ruler gives. Zacchaeus is like, money? I don't care about money. Like, you think that I'm doing all of this because I'm money hungry, because I'm greedy? Money, I don't care about money. Look, half of my possessions, Lord, 
I will give to the poor. I don't care about it. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. I will lose money based on this. Um, Jesus, uh, Zacchaeus is saying, I don't care about money. That's not, that's not why I'm in this. That's not why I'm in this. We find out it's not money that matters to Zacchaeus, right? But everyone in that crowd had already written the story about Zacchaeus. They had made up their mind. The bottom line is we don't know why he became a tax collector. We have no idea. People all the time get forced into jobs that they don't want to have to work, right? I mean, there's kids in the room, so I can't talk about it now, but there's a really old profession that women get involved in, right? They don't want to do that work, but for some reason they're forced into it, right? They're looking for a way out of it, perhaps, and they can't imagine what their way out is, but they're forced into it. Maybe that's what happened for Zacchaeus. Maybe Zacchaeus' dad was a tax collector, and he gave him the business, and for Zacchaeus there was cultural pressure where he had to do what his dad did, right, or else, right? Maybe Zacchaeus had a wife or a kid who was sick, and he didn't have any money, and he needed to make money to save their life, right? And maybe that's why Zacchaeus was in that situation. The bottom line is we don't know why Zacchaeus was in that situation, but we do know is that it wasn't money that Zacchaeus actually cared about. What actually mattered to him is actually salvation from that corrupt work and salvation from that life. Because Jesus says, today, salvation has come to this house. Because Jesus looked past the story and got to the heart of what actually mattered for Zacchaeus, he could change Zacchaeus' life in that one, in that one afternoon. That's where life-changing relationships happen. And we see this, this is the last story I'll tell, we see this in a vivid way in another story from the Gospel of Luke. And it's one that I talk about a lot because it's my favorite story. It's the story of those two former disciples who were walking away from Jerusalem towards Emmaus. This is a story that happens on Easter morning. Um, the Friday beforehand, Jesus is crucified and, he's, and he dies on the cross and he's dead and he's buried right? Saturday is a Sabbath. Nothing happens. Sunday, the next day, these disciples wake up, and they decide to leave Jerusalem, and they decide to go back home. And they're going back home sad and disappointed and dejected and lost and empty inside because they had given up everything to follow Jesus. They had given up their jobs. They had given up their homes. They had left it all to follow Jesus. And this Jesus, who they had put so much hope in, ended up being a failure, right? Because a crucified Messiah is a, is a failed Messiah. And so they're going back to whatever they're going back to at home. Um, and this is where Luke picks up the story. He says, now on that same day, two of them were going to the village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And all these things that had happened, what Luke means in that little sentence is um, all that happened with Jesus, right? All that, all that they had been through, all that, what they were talking about was the things that mattered most to them. The content of their conversation was the thing that were the, was the things that was the most important to them. That's what they were talking about. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So into this conversation comes Jesus. They don't recognize him. Um, we don't really know why, but he comes into this and then Jesus asks them a question. He asks them the kind of question that you ask someone who you could tell is kind of going through a hard time, right? And you want to kind of get personal with them. You don't want to stay shallow. You want to get a little personal. He asks them a question that digs a little deeper. He says, um, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? Just what are you discussing? He notices their sad faces. He notices that their body language is kind of downcast, they're looking down at the ground, and he asks a good question. 
You see what he's doing? He's taking an interest in what they're going through. He's taking an interest in what they're interested in, what they're talking so intently about. This is a, a step to get personal. And then one of them, Cleopas, uh, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have taken place there in these days? Basically, he's like, are you foolish? Like, were you in a cave for the last few days? Um, do you not? Do you... I didn't think that was going to work, but it did. That's great. What's wrong with you? They're asking. And Jesus responds with another question, another question that you ask if you want to go deeper with someone. And it's a brilliant question. What things? Just simple, open-ended, what things? His first question was a good one. This is a great one. He takes what they say and wants to dig. He wants to know more. Open-ended, simple, the kind of question that you ask when you're looking to engage with someone and you want to go beyond the shallow and go deeper. It gives them permission to share what's really going on in their hearts and in their minds. Interesting to note. Does Jesus need to ask this question? No. Because, ironically, he is the only person who actually knew what happened in Jerusalem on those days. He was the one who it went through. But Jesus is smart enough to know that you don't build relationships by assuming you know the answer, right? You don't build relationships by closing doors on conversation that needs to happen. Jesus is smart enough to know that sometimes people just need a chance to share, a chance to talk. Jesus is smart enough to know that when you show someone you care by taking time with them, by going with them, by finding out what matters, by being with them in it, that's actually a more important thing than just knowing the answer. And so they replied the things about Jesus a prophet, uh, his chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned in death and crucified. And then after they say all that, uh, Jesus gets, gets behind the thing. He gets to the heart of why what matters matters so much. When they say, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And with two questions, right? With two questions, Jesus opens the door getting past the shallow to the personal, opens the door to what is perhaps the most personal thing you can get to with someone. Where's your hope? Hope, if you don't know, is the thing that gets you up in the morning. It's the thing that drives you. It's the thing that makes your heart beat, that you have hope that something is going to happen in the world, that you could be part of something, and that's the thing that gets you up. There's nothing more personal than hope. Jesus gets right to it with two questions. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. That's why it matters so much, because they had put their hope in him. They knew that they needed redemption. They knew that redeemers weren't easy to come by. They knew that they couldn't redeem themselves. When we are able to connect with people about what actually matters to them, what we connect with is where their hopes are, where their dreams are, to what kind of makes them tick. And then they said, they say after this, and besides all that, a bunch of women went to the tomb. They, they didn't find his, his, his body there. A bunch of men go to the tomb. They didn't find his body, so we don't know what happened to him. After all of this, Jesus has a chance to respond. And he says, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. How foolish you are. It sounds harsh, but what Jesus is saying is, guys, you missed it. 
You missed out on everything I said. You missed out on everything I taught. You missed out on the core of why I died. You missed out. I don't want you to miss out because I love you. And you see what happens here. He takes an interest in what they're interested in. He gets to the heart of what matters and why it matters. He shows them he actually cares. And then and only then, the door is opened for him to actually speak truth into their lives, to teach them what they need to be taught, to lead them how he knew they should be led. That's how Jesus does this with these disciples. And so when you take uh, all of the ideas and concepts in this story, the Zacchaeus one and the rich ruler, how do we put all of these together and then kind of port them over to our lives? How do we um, translate them into our time, right? How do we do the things that, that Jesus modeled for us? And I'm going to give you a few um, kind of uh, simple ideas, and they're all from the stories, but they're also um, from the book. It's personal. Um, they kind of come from there, too. And the first one, it's really simple. The first one is pay attention. Pay attention to the clues, to the signs, to the signals, right? This is what Jesus does. He comes up to those two disciples. He sees them walking, around, walking along, kind of shoulders slunk and head down, right? He pays attention. He sees Zacchaeus up in a tree. He thinks to himself, what is this guy's need that he needs to climb a tree to come to see me? Something has to be wrong in his life. He pays attention. When we can learn to pay attention, um, we can impact people's lives too. Pay attention to, you know, questions like, what do they spend their time doing? Um, what do they spend their time talking about? What do they spend their money on? What gets a strong reaction from them? What is their social media habits? What do their posts say about, right? What is their body language like when you're talking to them? What is their body language like when you see them talking to their spouse? What is their body language like when you see them talking to their parents? You start paying attention to these things, and you can get to see quickly what matters to people. Um, I used to work as a hospital chaplain before I was here, and um, one of the challenges of being a chaplain is that you had to step into a room in a hospital uh, and interact with a family which is perhaps going through the worst day of their lives, right? And in about 20 to 30 seconds, you have to make a personal connection with them to show them that you're trustworthy, right? And that you're there to actually help. And one of the most helpful pieces of advice I ever got was when you step foot into that room, you have one second to pay attention, right? Look around the room real quickly and see, okay, is there anyone here or are they all alone? That tells something about whether this person has family who love him, friends that care about them or not, right? Um, are there cards on the wall? And are they drawn by kids with cute crayons and whatnot? Or are they by adult, right? It gives insight into um, who's actually there to care for this person. Um, are there balloons and how deflated are they, right? If they're deflated, it means they've been there for a long time, right? Or it means that no one loves them enough to buy them new balloons, right? Are there flowers all wilted and dying? All of this stuff gives clues, right? Have they touched their meal? Are they sitting there alone, staring like they're nervous? Or are they laid back, kind of watching TV or reading a newspaper? Um, and in that stuff, you learn a lot about people. If you can learn to pay attention like that, you can quickly get below the shallow, get beyond that, um, and get personal quickly. The second thing we do is we could ask good questions. And this is something that you see Jesus do in the Emmaus story. He asks two questions that open the door to them talking about what's most important in their life, what they're hoping for, right? Learn to ask good open-ended questions, clarifying questions, um, prompts that will help people share, kind of unload, unpack what's actually going on inside. 
Because not only do you learn more about what makes them tick, right? About what makes them happy or sad or worried. But when you ask those questions, you're telling that person, I actually do care about you. I actually do want to know what's going on in your life. Because you actually are worth my time. You actually are worth my attention. And this isn't a trick or a technique or something like that. It's actually the truth because that's someone who, who God sent his son for. So we ought to care about them enough um, to want to know what's going on. The third thing we can do is we can consider their perspective. What would it like to be in their shoes right now? This is something we're not very good at. But Jesus did a good job at this. What would it be like um, to be walking away from the guy who you gave up everything to follow, who died of failure? What would it be like to be in their shoes as they're walking those seven miles to Emmaus? What would it be like to, guy, uh, to, you know, to be up in that tree, right? So desperate, so empty that you're forced to throw away all your dignity, climb a tree to, you know, to see a stranger come walking. What would it be like, right? What would the pain feel like? for someone who valued something so much and they lost it, right? What would the happiness feel like for someone who got something that they have put their hopes in? What would the worry be like, right? What we're talking about with, with, with this is the concept of empathy. Um, when you find out what matters to someone and you're willing to put yourself to work to see and to feel and experience the world from their shoes for a moment, you can understand them in a whole different way. You could help them in a whole different way. You could serve them in a whole different way. You could lead them in the way that they need to be led. That's, that's called empathy. A lot of us, myself included, are not very good with empathy. We're short on wanting to consider uh, life from their perspective. Maybe we have no capacity to, to do it because we're so running on empty to begin with. Maybe we're so self-centered we just don't care. But if you want to engage with people in ways that lead to life-changing relationships, where they're drawn closer to Jesus, um, it might just start with this, considering their perspective. And fourth, and you're going to see if I made a silly little acrostic or not, to help you remember, <laughs> is engage with what matters. Or pace yourself. Um, engage them where they're at, right? Engage them with what matters. Jesus comes to Zacchaeus, he's up in a tree, right? He has no friends, he has no family. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to invite myself into your home. I'm going to give you friends. I'm going to give you a family. That's engaging Zacchaeus right where he's at. The rich guy, all he cares about is money. So you know what? I'm going to come to that point with you. I'm going to engage you there in what matters, right? Jesus comes to these disciples and he is willing to walk the full seven miles with these people. He engages them in their darkness, in their sadness, in their doubts. Being willing to go there with them because you care shows that you actually care. Because there is where life is. There is where relationships happen, where life change actually happens. That's something that we're called to do. Whether it's the kid who we teach on Sundays, or the high school kid who's sitting across from you at Starbucks, or um, the neighbor who you know and you know needs help. We can all do uh, these four things, right? When you go below, beyond the shallow of the personal, that's where real life connection happens. That's where a real relationship happens. When you get to be able to answer this question, do you know what matters to me? When you get to know what matters to someone, what happens is we get to know them. We get to know the real them. Not the them we've written the story about in our head, but the real them. The them that Jesus loves. 
the them that Jesus died for, the them that God saw it fitting to send Jesus to love and to die for. Because he wants to redeem them the same to save them. And, and that, that is what truly matters. That is what truly matters in our world, in our lives, whether we know it or not, in your life, whether you know it or not, in the lives of the people who we reach out to and engage with, whether they know it or not. Um, that's what we need. We need Jesus. We need God in our life in a way that transforms us and gives us life. That's what the rich ruler needed. He was faced with the decision between um, slavery to money and things or life in freedom, and he chose the wrong thing. That's what Zacchaeus needed. Same same decision, life in slavery to possessions and things, or life with Jesus, and he chose salvation, right? That's what these two disciples on the road to Emmaus needed. They needed redemption from their slavery, freedom from what kept them bound up. And they were literally walking away from it, walking away from what, if they had known, what truly mattered. We might not even know that it matters to us or that it should matter to us, but the good news of Jesus is that he knows that it matters. He knows what we need, and he gives us all that we need. And he has given it freely and generously through his death for us. And that is what matters. That's what the world around us needs to know. And that's what truly matters to them, whether they know it or not. Our job as his followers is to engage the world, engage them in such a way where they can come to know it. And that job, it's not easy. It's not quick. It's not shallow. It's personal. So let's pray that God could help us, equip us to actually go out and do that. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the way that you uh, come to us personally. That you have a way to get below um, our surface level stuff and to get into the heart of what matters to us. We thank you that you transform our lives there. For those of us who need our lives transformed by what actually matters, for us that have our hearts and our minds set on the wrong things, like that rich ruler, God, we pray that you, would, that you would touch us there. We pray that you would call us from there. Lord, we pray um, that you would help us as your church, as your people here, as followers of you, that you would help us to approach the world in the way that you did. To pay attention to the people around us and what they're going through. To ask the right questions. To consider their perspective. To have empathy. And to be willing to engage them there. Lord, what we want more than anything else in this church is for more and more people to come to know and follow you. And we know that that, um, that will happen in part by the way that we as individuals go out and engage with others. Whether that's on Sunday mornings uh, or throughout the week, throughout our regular lives. We pray, Lord, that you would equip us to do that, that you would empower us by your Spirit to do that, that you would reach out to others through us, Lord, that you would give us your grace to do that, that we would be bold in following you to do that, that we would remember, Lord, that we can go out and do that because you give us all that we need, that you give us all that you have. We lift up all of this to you, Lord, and in your name we pray these things. Amen. Mm -hmm.